Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Stephen Rothwell from Fans Unite. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Stephen Rothwell from Fans Unite. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you. Uh, much, uh, much obliged. So, Stephen, let's uh, go back to your initial start with sports betting. Take us through where you're from, how that sort of started, and then we'll get to what you're up to today with Fans Unite. Sure. So, uh, I'm a Canadian. I'm from Winnipeg. I uh, moved to Vancouver on the West Coast pretty early. I've been pretty much into betting since an early age because my dad was a fairly degenerate gambler. <laughs> And uh, pretty much uh, gambled on baseball, hockey uh, every day. So I kind of grew up with that mentality, you know, wise guy mentality in the Assiniboine Downs in Winnipeg, betting on horses and stuff. And so I've just kind of kind of carried that through in my life. Uh, did a degree in math and physics, so I got pretty good with numbers. And just studying data science in general, machine learning, I took an interest in sports data because it's a very challenging data set to work on. And uh, kind of everything ballooned after my college years into uh, basically where I am now, betting on sports. Um, yeah, that's kind of my background, I suppose. What's it like betting on sports from Canada or in Canada or throughout your college years? What was the, the industry like? How did you go about it back then? Yeah, well, we start on uh, the Canadian government uh, sports book, which is uh, ProLine. So that's kind of where I started. And just terrible odds, right? You know, you get yep. 40 to 1, uh, six picks, and that kind of went down to 25 to 1. And you don't really get any uh, kind of nice low margin solutions in Canada. So that kind of led into me going offshore. Of course, Discover Pinnacle and their great lines. And that's kind of where I bet mostly. Um, once Bitcoin came out, I switched directly to Bitcoin when it was kind of low, about $300, and started betting on Nitro. So I would say in Canada, to answer your question, it's pretty open in general. Um, you know, Matchbook left, which kind of sucked for us. But in general, we have Pinnacle, we have Nitro. So we have everything we need. So what was your approach to sports betting? Were you a passionate fan that would bet on your team or teams? Or would you bet against the teams you hated? Or were you more sophisticated even at the early stages? Yeah, directly I uh, started with machine learning pretty early because that was kind of my background in college. So I, I kind of cut my teeth on financial models in the financial industry uh, using exotic computing. And from there, I just kind of approached sports directly from a data science point of view. So my, my strategy was always to collect as much data as I possibly could and try to let the data drive the decisions with algorithms. 
And from day one, that's kind of all I've been doing is trying to figure out how to win in the current environment um, algorithmically. So tell us, in layman's terms, what type of application machine learning had for you and how it could generally apply to just a general sports better out there listening. Well, yeah, uh, definitely it helps to let data drive decisions rather than letting um, your decisions uh, just be made from random looks at limited data. You know, in general, most sports bettors only use very small portions of data to make decisions, right? You know, you see trend guys out there, guys who, uh, you know, might be using uh, like a simple machine learning model, like a linear regression or a logistic regression, or you might have heard a Poisson distribution before being used in football. If you use these simple models, uh, you're generally going to shave your bias a lot because if you're just making picks off of last 10 games or some sort of statistic uh, like WOBA or something like that, uh, you're not going to get too far. So you really need to kind of approach modeling in sports these days, especially with um, some sort of algorithm or some sort of large data process. So uh, to answer your question, using data science um, uh, can be as simple as using a simple program in Python like sklearn to just explore your data. So if you have kind of an idea of what might be important in a sport, like in baseball, it might be uh, home runs or something like that. You really want to run your data or the data you collect through an algorithm and just kind of see if you're biased or not. Uh, I would suggest most betters take that path. Um, you learn a lot, I'll tell you that. Can machine learning and, and data science capture a large portion of the market that you, a large portion of the data that you need to make good decisions in the market? Or is it still a relatively early stages and you've really got to focus in on areas of importance to you and, and go from there? Yeah. Um, okay. So if I got the question right. Um, let me just let me put it this way. Someone who picks a random trend and says when the Seahawks play in London off a Thursday night game in the NFL, they're one and seven. They're picking obviously a very small sample of data that might be relevant for that match, whereas others will pick player information. Others might pick just team information. Who knows? In terms of yeah. machine learning and the algorithmic approach, are you able to essentially bring in all the relevant areas of information that you want and try and make a better decision with all that? Or are you just focusing on specifics? Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Generally, no, right? Because most sports bettors never see the full data state. Like I call that the game state, all the data. Uh, to see all the data and to make good decisions with data science, you need a lot of data, right? You need uh, many thousands of rows, preferably millions of rows of data just to get a good statistical understanding of the actions on the field and how they affect whatever you're looking at, whether it be a total or money line or something like that. So in general, most bettors uh, will never have the ability to use machine learning at scale unless you have resources behind you. So at Fancy Night, I'm pretty lucky because uh, through because we have a, you know, a good business and good relationships, we can see uh, large-scale data um, and then apply machine learning to that to get good results. You know, generally, as a sports book, you want asymmetric data, uh, a lot of data that kind of the betters don't have. Um, so I'd say, you know, it's not very helpful for the average guy um, to use machine learning unless they can get large-scale data. Um, maybe like an MLB, you can do that with the pitch effects data because it's open source. But in general, you're not going to really model as a sports better in any other sport because you just don't have the data to match big guy like Pinnacle. 
So what was your intention when you sort of sat down and built your data science ML approach to sports betting? Are you looking to create ratings? Are you looking to identify certain teams that might outperform the market in the past? And what are some of the things you're exactly looking for? Right. So, um, yeah, that's a good, great question. So kind of what I'm looking to do is I'm looking for bias in the data. I mean, that's, that's the game pretty much. So when I look at, say, all of Pinnacle's closing lines, I might look at kind of a distribution of kind of where the market ended up. And when I use data science, I'm trying to look at the data and trying to find out if uh, basically all the betters who go into making that closing line or as the line forms and converges to the closing line, I'm kind of just trying to discover if uh, those betters are making uh, biased decisions. In machine learning, we call that overfitting, where basically people are modeling noise. And uh, in a lot of marketplaces, even in the big five sports, which you know, are pretty well understood, you can still find a lot of uh, bias in, in the data and quite good edges. So to answer your question, I'm looking to build a win probability model and then uh, measure if that win probability can be mistaken for noise. And if it is above a certain rate where I'm pretty sure my prediction isn't going to be generated from noise very often, I, I'll bet that game quite a lot uh, with my bankroll. So you're one sports better, let's say, or even a syndicate of sports betters versus bookmakers with potentially hundreds of employees. How do you think bookmakers are approaching the same issue? Are they using detailed modeling approaches, do you think, or are they largely relying on market information and and smart sports betters to, to shift their lines? Yeah, I'd probably say they're just copying Pinnacle's line. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, uh, how the line is set is pinnacle sports right now. It's the gold standard because they just have the data and data drives lines in our industry. And as a sports book, um, basically, you just want as many customers to bet as possible. So you get an idea of kind of where they're going to end up. And as you get more bets in, you can increase the lines or sorry, you can increase the um, handle that you would take from each better um, as the lines get more mature. So as a individual better, uh, I probably would want to bet pretty early, right, and get the lines before they're pretty sharp. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. It's just pretty hard to beat the bookmaker in general. And what about the closing line? Do you? How does that factor into all of your analysis? A lot of people are very sort of positive that it's you know all the market information in one, and it sort of it's largely gospel, and and some others may not value it as highly depending on the sport, but what, what's your general approach to how to utilize the starting price of a, of a, of a team or whatever it might be? Oh yeah. hundred percent. The closing line is uh, pretty much the gold standard for where you should kind of start thinking about calculations. Um, it's kind of interesting. Even the most cutting edge uh, machine learning algorithms pretty much converge to Pinnacle's closing line. If you don't filter out for noise basically so data is very noisy and if you are uh, not filtering out say like a contrarian bet say you make a win probability you look at the closing line you think you have an edge um, you really have to check if your result is based on noisy data otherwise you're going to lose a lot of money so kind of the uh, idea here with the closing line is that 
uh, it represents basically all the opinions of all these betters who are basically overfitting and their uh, their models and what they're doing is they're just making bets off of randomness but when you put all the randomness together it turns out to be a really great line so to answer your question pinnacle makes a great line it's a closing line it's the gold standard it's what you should base your calculation off of and what you're really looking for is those situations where uh, there might be just a little bit of bias in the line, um, like a heavy favorite or a underdog, which is not being weighted properly. If the closing line's so damn good, how do we get people to be professional sports bettors if it's so hard to win, if it's more than likely yeah. a lot of these models are closing in on that number where it ultimately lands at the end? It seems like a tough nut to crack. It is extremely tough nut to crack. Um, in fact, most sports bettors probably shouldn't try because they just don't have the data to drive calculations that are sophisticated enough to compete with the bookmaker. Um, you know, I, at Fans United, I'm pretty blessed with, because uh, we have a social sports betting site with many, many people who just track their systems, um, tens of thousands of people. So I get to see kind of the general patterns of how people think about betting and general strategies. And, you know, it's really, really hard to uh, beat the sports book. So the best way you can uh, basically increase your chances is to never bet at a high margin sports book. That would be my first bit of advice to any better. Uh, you generally want to bet at pinnacle or better. And that's kind of what's behind fans unites drive to use the blockchain. For instance, we really want to try to do better uh, using machine learning to get a lower margin for betters. And that's kind of what we're about. What other, I'm curious about all those. I'm sure you have a lot of information from all those people putting their picks or models or whatever it might be on your yeah. platform any other cool trends or patterns or other information you've seen from that that's that you're able to share, I suppose? Yeah, uh, I guess what's interesting is that even if you take a collection of the very best bettors on Fans Unite, I mean, there's a couple guys who are just really, really good. And there's always going to be that. Um, of course, you know, maybe one in 500 guys win consistently over 5,000 games, which is pretty much the gold standard for us. If you bet 5,000 games and you win money, you're probably plus EV. So kind of the interesting thing is that if you take like the top 100 gamblers and then you just kind of take their bets, um, they pretty much converge to breaking even with Pinnacle's closing line. So it's just really, really, really hard to win any money at a 2.4% margin or worse. Um, and that's kind of what we found with our data is that we can really look at, you know, what is the the bottom line for the better. And it's pretty much, you know, you got to bet at Pinnacle or better, like maybe Matchbook or something, you can get a good line. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what we learned from the data. Do you think that 2.4% number has always been roughly the same or do you think it's got closer and closer to to zero? Was it 5%, you know, 10 years ago or, or 6 or 7% 30 years ago, let's say, or is, uh, in your opinion or with some of the information you've got, have you seen that close in on, on closer to 0%? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, this all started with Betfair, right? When they so long ago, year 2000, they came out and their lines were way down there, like 2% in some markets. And I thought it was going to go down to zero, but I've seen the anti-trend happen, actually, where most books are just getting by with five, six, seven percent margins. I mean, you look at DraftKings latest offering, it's pretty high margin. And these guys, you know, they know uh, it's pretty hard to operate even at a two point four percent margin the sharps will take you so actually i really believe it's going the other way where these low margin books 
can't exist. Like you might see a guy like smarkets.com who are um, quite famously say, you know, we're going to build the high volume, low margin model or bust. But if you don't have the data, you can't do that. And Pinnacle has massive data, right? So nobody can really offer a low margin unless they kind of turn to a machine learning approach because it's just too hard to get the information to build a good closing line. And probably smart bettors are going to uh, beat you up if you offer a low margin like that without the data to support it. So in my opinion, it's just getting worse. Um, there's more charges everywhere. Everyone's charging, like Betfairy charges premium charge and all that. Uh, it's really hard to make money if you don't get a really good margin. And uh, again, that's what's kind of behind Fancy Night's push to see how low we can drive the margin as possible. So when you see they need the data coming in, are you talking about looking at smart punters and their bets and what they're betting on so they can adjust their lines and, and odds? Yes, exactly. Uh, as well as not smart bettors, it's a, they're important too. Because what you're trying to do is build a distribution of weighted opinion. And of course, the smart guys will be weighted more. I mean, uh, you would weight Bob Volgaris more than Joe Gambler. <laughs> but Joe Gambler is still important because you need a good idea of the distribution of prices people are willing to take around an average price. And once you get a good idea, a lot of data, data-driven processes um, generally outperform simple heuristics or just a, you know, a really smart guy behind a computer setting lines. Uh, you want a combination of smart guys and, and not so smart guys. Um, you know, generally you put it all together and you get a really good idea of, uh, basically where you're anticipating handle to come on a market. So what do you think is the optimal business model? And I probably know what you think the answer is, but in terms of on the, the, the operator side, if we're saying how difficult it is to recreate Pinnacle's model and get those low, very low margins uh, in the market. And then also it's, it's probably the optimal approach as well. Is there a middle ground in all of that? Do you think there's a place for the, the, the operators you mentioned before, the exchanges to live somewhere in between without such high volume? Yes. So uh, I, I will admit I'm slightly biased here. I think that the answer is the blockchain. And what I mean by that is the only way that you can get more efficient is to get more data, right? That's essentially what the high volume, low margin model is. The more data in, the better and better you understand the distribution of people betting at your website, the more and more you can raise the maximum bet. I think that's the idea. So on the blockchain, if people write data to the blockchain, you get a lot of bets, which is all public now because everything written to the blockchain is public. You can essentially get a much lower margin book um, with more data written to it. So essentially we imagine people operating on the blockchain, you would pull all their betting data. And then just because you have just more than Pinnacle, which is just a silo, you would naturally get lower margins quicker. So that's a possible path forward uh, to collectively use data together instead of hoarding it into these individual silos and then selling it amongst each other or something like that. Um, another way to move forward, again, is just to use machine learning to be a little bit better at understanding large sports data because I think sports data is proliferating. You know, you see guys like Sport Radar doing amazing work and uh, Bet Radar and all these guys who have this on-court data, 25 data points a second, uh, exact position of players. When you have large and big data like that, that can be put into a machine learning algorithm and translated into 
uh, more ROI for your trading team, again, you can pass some of that value to the better in terms of lower margins. And that's kind of what Fanzionite's committed to do. So do you think it's as simple as sportsbooks should do pretty much nothing and copy Pinnacle or, or watch Pinnacle very, very closely and copy the market or go all in and gather as much data as they can, capture everything in the market, some of the stuff you've mentioned, and be really you know, cutting edge in terms of all the information they can get, use machine learning and be a very, very sophisticated book? Or is there a place in the middle where it's worthwhile to be doing at a an average level let's say yeah well they already do um, so most books have a subscription to a wonderful company in london called tx odds and what they do is they gather together all of the apis of the various sports betting companies and then you can kind of build a synthetic odd from that or something for your sports book you know like a weighted average of all the other guys so generally you can buy shared data and shared market pricing data and start your line from there. That's what I would suggest for any small sports book. So, you know, you can take a, a number like 60% Pinnacle, 30% Bet365 and like a smattering of other guys. And then you would have a kind of a starting odd that you feel comfortable with. That's generally the process of a bookmaker, I think. And then what you'll do is you'll kind of adjust that for your individual gamblers. You know, if you had like a, for instance, a New Jersey-based sports book and you have betters from New Jersey, you can be pretty sure that the bias will be on like the devils or something in a hockey game. <laughs> yep. So yep. You, you might not just take Pinnacle's raw price or like a combination of different sports books prices. You might take them as a base price line and then adjust based upon the anticipated handle that you might collect from your betters, say on a devil's game or something. I think it'd be a little bit higher if you're in New Jersey. So that's kind of like how you would do it, um, in my opinion. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and totes, the Betfair Exchange is a low-margin, buy-sell, fixed-odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So let's switch over to Fans Unite. Take us through the, I guess, the inception, the idea creation, and, and the mission statement that got it all started. Okay, so um, I'm the fifth employee of uh, Fans United. I came along about um, two-thirds of the way into that startup. So uh, kind of what happened was my uh, bosses, Duncan McIntyre and Darius Agdami, they made a website called fansunite.com. And what they did was they basically built a tracker, kind of like tipster.com, another great website, uh, guys like that. And you can track your uh, your bet on fanzunite.com or your betting system or um, ensemble of betting systems that you might have, you can track it all there. And what they did was they gave a virtual currency away where you can only uh, bet up to like 250 units or something like that and up to five, five units per bet. And kind of what that did was it allowed gamblers and bettors to track their systems and get a good idea of what's working, what's not. And it's all done on Pinnacle's closing line. So you have kind of a gold standard to measure things. Um, kind of what happened there was we were just giving this kind of virtual currency when I came on. We, we were starting to look at that site and the blockchain as a solution. And when you're giving a virtual currency to people, what they were doing was they were trying to get high ROIs to get like a, a subjective viewpoint of how their touting service might work. And we realized that, hey, you know, this could be like a blockchain application because what these people are doing is they're just providing their information to Fans Unite in return for 
like social acceptance, but we can do a little bit better. We could probably build a protocol for these people to share their data and maybe get paid for it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like the history of Fans United. I came on in about uh, year three, and they had been going for three years on a social website. And then we decided, you know, let's go build a protocol so all sports books can use the blockchain and utilize it for their own advantage. So you, you mentioned about the ability to basically bet with certain unit sizes and have a, a token, essentially. Yeah. Did you find people's behavior changing when they're not necessarily using real money versus a token where they can essentially try and make it look like they're winning or, or you know, over leverage or over betting, those type of things? Yes, their behavior didn't change when they got a virtual token, but it sure changed when there was a, um, and I wasn't there when this happened, but what their kind of, uh, uh, I guess, intuition was to limit the tokens. Like you can only have so many tokens and you can bet one to five tokens and you only get 250 tokens to bet with a month. So it was kind of this monthly limit and that really changed behaviors because when you're trying to compete to get a high ROI on the system and be in the top 10 or the top 20, uh, your limitation changes your behavior because you're not going to wild five unit max bet a bunch of Sacramento Kings bets. <laughs> yeah. Like you're just going to lose your money, right? It's not going to work out for you. So, you know, we noticed that people would start to be more careful and kind of make these little heuristics for managing their tokens so that they can kind of boost out a max ROI, a combination of favorites and underdogs. And it was really interesting um, to see that data myself as a data scientist, because I learned a lot about kind of the psychology behind it and how betters react when they're winning and losing. So why do you why do you opt for a decentralized protocol versus obviously many other options you could have gone down uh, in terms of paths with this type of business? Yeah, that was a no brainer for us. Um, we were looking at the state of the sports betting industry you know i've been betting a long time i bet a lot of bitcoin um i bought at 300 i did a ton of bets on um nitrogen sports and you know i love those guys but i was not happy with the margins that i was getting and the cash in cash out process so we started to look at the blockchain and it became pretty evident to us that it offered a lot of very beneficial things to the betters and you know most betters have Bitcoin or ETH or something like that. And they've done a few bets. But when you build a protocol that's decentralized, uh, what you're trying to do is reward people for providing data that resolves bets. So kind of how, how it works with a protocol is people can go and they can, like, say, get a fan token and bet on the Fans Unite website. But people who hold tokens can also resolve the bets by basically providing the data for the results. So, you know, like fixing, like when you have your, uh, your fixture and you need a result data, you might go to like a company out there, uh, like Cy Gaming or something who have scouts in the stands, kind of what we thought or what we envisioned was to reward people who take part in uh, blockchain network by allowing them to provide data from the stands rather than scouts or from their TVs or from whatever data feed that they have. So a lot about decentralizing a sports book revolves around um, data and how you compensate people for providing it because that's all really uh, you know a blockchain sports book is you make something called a smart contract it's a program that holds your bet in escrow and it just awaits data to release that bet 
uh, in a trustless manner. So to answer your question, uh, after all of that, uh, what does the blockchain and these smart contracts give to the better? Um, basically, it allows you to get your money in and out super quick uh, because you don't have to, like, you know, send a $12,000 wire to Pinnacle and wait seven days <laughs> for it to get there. It's horrible. So, you know, with the blockchain, betters just have a ton of opportunity to just buy a crypto quickly and get it in, get it out. And because we're envisioning a protocol where we have many sports books sharing their data, which is totally public on the blockchain, we think we can really get those margins down past 2.4%. Like I said before, you know, the more data that you have, uh, the better and better you are at identifying what the closing line ought to be. So, you know, when we looked at that, those aspects, like the ability to maybe reduce the margin on the blockchain with more data and to give betters more control over their money, we also saw that people were banning a lot of winners. Like I've been banned a few times. I'm sure a lot of betters have been just for winning, you know, a couple thousand dollars one day, maybe on a lucky bet. And on the blockchain, you can't really ban people. It's a smart contract, which is just a programmatic. Uh, it's just a program which manages the bet in a trustless uh, fraud resistant manner. And when you have that, you know, you can't bet or sorry, you can't ban winners when they win. People can just make bets and trust that the bet they make is paid out and that they don't suffer the consequences and have to take their money out and all that stuff. So essentially, I guess we're kind of sick and tired that bettors never really get compensated for providing their data to the network. So this decentralized protocol really rewards bettors for providing their data. You know, every time you make a bet, it increases the demand for the token, which resolves the bet. Um, and again, that probably can be passed down to the betters in the form of a lower margin, the value produced from that, rather than maybe some intermediary company, which takes a huge cut. So is there a minimum or even a sweet spot of users and liquidity that goes through the entire platform to make it viable? Um, yeah, that's a hard question to answer. We don't know where the point of inception will be, but uh, you know, we're working pretty hard to bring a few uh, partners uh, onto our protocol, we'll launch our own sports book uh, as a uh, initial offering, and we hope that you know four or five sports books providing uh, a few thousand customers of data each, or sorry, a few thousand uh, customers worth of data each should kind of add up to a, a fairly large, um, a fairly large amount of data that explains the behavior of the betters and should be able to drive that line down. So we're thinking maybe. Um, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000 actives betting every day should really get the ball rolling. It sounds like it might be a monstrous technical challenge to do all of this and have a, a nice user interface for those that may not understand what's going on behind the curtain to make all this possible. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Um, blockchain is a new technology, and uh, it's very hard to make that scale because it's a distributed database. That means it's just a little bit slower than kind of a database you might use at a normal sports book. So there's a lot of technical challenges around making these smart contracts, um, making them fraud resistant, because the last thing you want to do is, you know, publish this cool smart contract sports book and then suddenly fraud and then people lose their money. Like, so you have to be really careful and make sure there's zero fraud in it, that the data is immutable, that it's, never changes or can't be changed. And, you know, there's a lot of problems around the blockchain, but we have a really, really great team of really experienced people 
Um, and I think the strength of our team addresses a lot of those issues. Um, from the side of data analysis, that's pretty tricky too. You know, it's a lot of work to make really great odds. Um, uh, so we have a, a few PhDs in our company, which are we're all working together to uh, basically we try to handle the glut of the sports. Because when, when you make a sports book, there's a lot of sports people want to bet on. Um, and sometimes some of those sports have a, only a little bit of data. So it's hard to get a really good model really quickly. So those are kind of a, some of the challenges we face. But we think we're up to it. How do you think you'll fit in with the broader industry sort of moving forward? Do you think it'll remain a niche? Do you think you can carve out a much larger portion? Obviously, a lot of people are probably used to their current sports book, whether it's an app or, or a website or, yes. or, or even betting in person in the US. But do you expect this to be a much larger portion of the market? Well, we absolutely are focused on the protocol. Um, our sports book, uh, where we try to drive the margin down to 1% uh, with all the techniques that we've been discussing, is just kind of a, a centerpiece um, and a, a place for bettors to go bet. But we're really focused on the protocol part where we're trying to be the uh, smart contract engine for all sports books. So we really, really look to build a collaborative um risk-free solution that is easy to integrate for all sports books. Um, and, you know, we've talking to a couple of them and we're trying to uh, get that technology to a place where it's understandable by a large uh, segment of population who might not be so technical or not into crypto in our industry. So I guess to answer your question, our focus is definitely on the collaboration and integration with existing entities who have enough scale to move the margin. We really want people to adopt crypto because it really helps betters, especially with getting money in quickly. Like I, I just don't want to wait seven days to make a bet, that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, partnering with some KYC partners, we hope to make the process very seamless and really, really focus on maximum choice for the sports betters. Of course, if you can get on the blockchain, you can take your money in and out so fast that if you have 10 or 12 entities operating on the Fans Unite protocol, then bettors have the choice between 12 sports books within 30 seconds. And that's just great for business and great for bettors. Yeah, very. that's very cool. So yeah. I, I want to ask you, it's the time of recording. It's NBA season starting up. Everyone's <laughs> excited about NBA. Oh, yeah. You're an expert, so I, it would be remiss of me not to ask a couple of questions about NBA betting. <laughs> sure, let's, let's start, go. Let's start with some sort of advanced analytics that, uh, you would value or rely on when looking at, from a betting perspective, what's going to help you in terms of things that are predictive? Yeah, uh, you should be good at projecting minutes. That's for one. So um, generally, you want to look at the starters um, and their aggregates. So, you know, you might look the last 10, 20, 30 games, depending on what algorithm you use, you know, it changes what matters. But you want to look at the past 20 or 30 games just add up their basic statistics and really, really get your minutes down. Because in basketball, you know, there's a lot of flow and there's, you know, a lot of statistics like points per possession, points per minute that you might want to look at. Um, you know, generally most people, so I'll talk in terms of a normal better who doesn't have um, great access to statistics like Fancy Night does. So a normal guy can really, really shave down their, um, or shave down their losing percentage, I guess, by just really looking at the aggregates over the last maybe 20, 30 games, and then really get your minutes down and peg those aggregates to that amount of minutes that you expect a player to play. Most times, um, 
you know, you might get burnt on like, a, you know, an Anthony Davis game in NBA. I really hate betting on the Pelicans <laughs> for that reason. Because <laughs> every time I bet him, he's out in the first 10 minutes and I screw the minutes up and my calculation is bad. So, um, you know, really, really think about, you know, how much you expect a player to play. Because when you get that number down, all the other numbers can flow from there. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned flow a couple of times. It seems like something that can never be quantified. Is that true? Or do you think we're getting to a point these days where we can start doing that? And obviously a lot of people listening potentially will be betting live in a lot of these games. I've heard in the past from a few smart people on the NBA side that they would look for when Kevin Durant and uh, Russell Westbrook were playing together certain let's call them flow impacts that that had a a relevance in terms of live betting and when they would both sit out and things like that do you have any ability moving forward do you think to start quantifying some of these things that have in the past certainly been only possible with a trained eye yeah it's a funny story because i did before the nba uh, cut off all access uh, to the data Uh, so you remember in 2016 january they uh, they cut off the official court tracking api where you had all the beautiful XY data, everything you needed to really model the flow of the game. So basketball is kind of a game of um, relationships between the players and the players they're playing against, how you switch off, what types of plays you make. So in 2016, I had a pretty sophisticated model. I, w- I was think I was making about 6.5, 7% ROI, uh, which was st- just crazy high for me. Um, and then what they did was they cut that off because they did a deal with Second Spectrum and Sport Radar who now have all of that court tracking data. So I can tell you for sure that modeling the flow of the game and the interactions in the game is totally possible because they already do it. Second Spectrum is the company. They're out of L.A. Um, Great company. I totally suggest viewers look at their website and check them out. But the problem is is the data is very expensive. It's like uh, you're paying uh, six figures a month just to access that stuff now and uh, the court tracking stuff. So average bettors can't really... Uh, look at that. So for the average guy, no, you can't really get the flow of the game down very well. But if you have a lot of money, like a syndicate, you can absolutely do that to great effect. Any general advice for those looking to bet NBA or have recently adopted NBA as one of their major sports to try and make money out of? Um, yeah, uh, how I would look at that. I'm, you know, I'm a contrarian guy, you know, um, Sometimes I like to bet a spot where there's a favorite, but what I mostly like to do is bet dogs. And I really, really analyze my method of choosing a dog, basically, because that's where you kind of make the highest ROI, um, I think, personally. So basically, identify good dogs you think have a good chance to win in basketball, and then really, really dig into the data and try to see um, the correlations between the data you're using and if you're just modeling noise or not. So, you know, a lot of bettors will get stuck betting like the Sacramento Kings at 6.2 every single time they lose at the end of the game because maybe, you know, the data looks good, but you really, really have to check. Um, It's not biased and you're not modeling noise. It's a big thing. So there's some ways to do that. And uh, I can give you a follow-up link to one of our articles that kind of explains that. Uh, But that's kind of how I would approach NBA. Uh, I hate betting favorites because as in the NBA, the home court advantage has been just dying over the last few years. So you might have a like a 55.5% chance of winning at home now as opposed to when it was 60. And that's because of the three-pointer and the kind of the advent of the three-pointer 
age where everyone, even uh, centers are taking threes now. So <laughs> it's really, really hard to um, win favorites, I think, in the NBA because of this new strategy where everyone just jacks threes for three quarters. Um, so I look at underdogs and I'm really, really careful and picky about it. But that's what I do in the NBA if I was just a normal guy. Interesting. So I had a recent guest on who said one thing that would be valuable for him is just to solve a problem that he has or anyone else has. So I want to ask you, what are some of the problems you have in, in sports betting, in data analysis, and whatever it might be within the whole realm of what we've discussed that people out there can look into and try and solve, or maybe they're already trying to solve them that would be useful and relevant? Yeah, okay. Um, that's a great question. Um, look, if if you're generating a data from any source that's in play data, it's super valuable right now. So uh, one problem that I am really, really passionate about solving and would be really, really interested in talking to people about is capturing of data from game tape. So, you know, they have algorithms now, it's called image processing, where you can look at uh, like game tape and kind of detect the court lines and the players on the court. And if you can do that kind of stuff, or have the ability to code that kind of stuff and get really neat data, uh, it's worth a lot, especially to your own betting model, if you could actually get that. So um, generally, I would suggest uh, looking to find asymmetric data that nobody else has. That's when you win a lot of money in sports betting. So basically taking NBA tape and just kind of tracking when players do pick and rolls, even with your eye, uh, pick and rolls or high screen threes or something like that, uh, corner threes, uh, you know, these are the things you want to look at. And I think uh, I was reading Bob Volgaris on Twitter, and he, he was talking about things like that. I, I measured everything, corner threes, pick and rolls. This type of asymmetric data gives you vast, uh, just a, a vast advantage over a normal better. <laughs> so if you can find data that like nobody else has or put it together like nobody else has, it's worth a lot, especially to your own model. Awesome, Stephen. That's great. Before I let you go, I just want to uh, let the listeners know how they could get in touch with you or reach out. And I can certainly point them to a couple of articles you've written that I read, you know, in the last couple of weeks that are relevant to some of the things we've talked about. So I'll add those links in the show notes. But in terms of is Twitter the best way? Is What's the best and easiest way to do it? Yeah, you can get to me at Twitter at, at SaberCruncher, S-A-B-E-R-C-R-U-N-C-H-E-R. Um, I'm there. I'm pretty much on every day. So if anyone wants to chat about data or anything, I'm there. Awesome. Thanks very much for your time and, and all the best and continued success with the, the Fans Unite stuff. Oh, thank you so much, Jake. Thanks for having me.